Matthew 28, 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. From this text, I want to speak on the subject, a new day. They came to the tomb at the dawning of a new day. God bless you. Please be seated. Now, in case you missed it, in Matthew 28, 21, there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now, I've studied the Bible most of my life, but sometimes these Marys mix me up. It was a popular name in Bible times. There are five women that we know of whose name were Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary, the mother of Mark. There were several Marys in the biblical record. Not to be more confusing, but two of these Marys were in this story, and they went to the tomb to pay homage to Jesus Christ, to put spices on his body, as was the custom of the Jews. Now, Mary Magdalene is first named in Matthew 28, 1. We know from the writings of Mark and Luke in the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four gospels that tell us the life story of Jesus Christ, of the words he spoke and the words he performed. Those are the gospel records, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Mark and Luke teach us that Mary Magdalene was not such a good woman when she found Jesus Christ or when Jesus found her. She was full of the devil, seven devils to be exact. Mark 16, 9 tells us that Jesus appeared to her, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Luke tells us that there were women who were healed of evil spirits and infirmities, and then it names Mary Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Now, we don't know exactly the nature of the devils that possessed Mary. They could have been devils of immorality, devils of infirmity. They could have been devils of self-hatred, like the man of Gadara, who lived in the tombs and cut himself and tried to kill himself. We don't know the nature. It would really not be fair to Mary Magdalene to say that she was full of immoral devils, but suffice it to say that when she came to Jesus, she was pretty messed up. She was full of devils. Now, these women that have been healed of infirmities, out of devils have been cast, were generous supporters of the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that they ministered to him of their substance. And it's notable that when Mary Magdalene met Jesus Christ, he delivered her and forgave her, that it was a new day for her. It changed her life forever. Now, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, are joined according to the book of Mark in this story 
of bringing sweet spices that they could anoint the body of Jesus Christ. I want to make a special note today that among the devoted disciples of Jesus Christ are named and referred to numerous women. They were loyal, faithful followers of him. They were among the last at the cross where he was crucified. They were the first at the tomb. A woman was the first to see the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Mary and Mary and Salome were dedicated disciples of Jesus Christ. He was crucified, placed in a tomb, and they were distraught. They had forsaken all to follow him. They supported his ministry. He had forgiven them and delivered them. But now he's in a tomb. And the fog of confusion that messed up their mind between his death and his resurrection was troubling for sure. They were disturbed by the doubt of these events that had happened. They were consumed by lots of questions. They wanted to recover but they lost when Jesus said, it is finished. They were engulfed in the greatest grief that they had ever known in their lives, that they lost their treasured friend, teacher, master, and savior. And it was more than they could bear because some of them watched him die. He was murdered, martyred. It was unfair. I have a feeling that they battled feelings of disillusionment, and even anger toward those Jewish leaders who authorized his death and the Romans who carried out that execution. I've learned in my life when things perplex me or confuse me, when things don't add up, it has a way of fogging the windshield of your life where you really can't see clearly how to make a good decision, how to proceed into the future. Tears of grief will blur your vision. And these two Marys might have been coping with all of that. Disillusionment, perhaps some anger, a lot of wonderment, like Jesus said that he would live forever and now he's dead. He said he would come back to life, but would that promise ever be validated? And I think they were shaking their heads in regret. On this third day, early in the morning, long before daylight, they're working on these spices. They're thinking about how they're going to get to him. They're not imagining a resurrection. They're imagining going into a tomb and seeing a dead body and anointing it with these spices as was the custom of the Jewish people. Their world was rocked by what had happened to Jesus Christ. So as they're on their way to the tomb in the pre-dawn hours, they're talking about the obstacle that stands between them and the dead body, as they saw it, of Jesus Christ. They asked themselves the question, who will roll the stone away so we can get inside the grave to anoint the body of Jesus Christ? Jesus was buried just outside the city walls. This is the custom. They're working on this. They're walking toward him. I thought about this story again. Many of us have read this over and over most of our lives. But these ladies were not afraid of the Roman soldiers. They didn't, get say, they didn't say, how are we going to get past those guys with spears? 
I have a feeling they're thinking we can talk them into anything. But that stone, that's a problem. It's big and heavy. And they were told to make the grave site as secure as possible. So it has now been sealed with concrete, essentially, so nobody can get inside. Not even the Roman soldiers can get inside the grave. They're thinking about this. They're wondering about how or who is going to roll the stone away. And the soldiers who are guarding the grave have been told, don't let anybody in. You see, there is this fear among the Jewish leaders that some of the disciples of Jesus would sneak in in the middle of the night, roll the stone away. You always had a stone, but wasn't always cemented. They would steal the body of Jesus, and then they would go tell everybody that he had raised from the dead, and then that would be worse than the first, they said, the deception, they thought. So that's why the soldiers, that's why the seal and the women know that this is a really big problem. Now, the Bible tells us what happened on this day, early Sunday morning, the new day's dawning, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went out to visit the tomb. And when they got there, the surprise of their lives, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is open. It sounds like great news. They get their meticulously prepared spices. They go inside the grave, but the body is missing. Now, in this moment, you would think that they would have remembered that Jesus said he would rise on the third day. But they're not thinking that. They're wondering, he took him away. John records Mary saying, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've laid him. She thought, the bad guys have come, taken his body out of the tomb, moved it to some undisclosed location so the disciples cannot come and minister to the body of Jesus Christ. But Matthew 28 goes on to tell us what really happened that day. Matthew 28 too. And behold, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone of the door and sat on it. I think that's kind of cool. That an angel sitting there like, hey, his countenance was like lightning. His clothing as white as snow. And the guards, those strong, muscular Roman guards with spears in their hand and swords on their side shook for the fear of a single angel and became like dead men. I want to pause to say right now that whatever you bring in the natural is so no match for what we bring in the spiritual. That God has power over all the power of the enemy. I don't know what is coming against you today in your life, but I can tell you that God has power over that power. He has power over government, over sickness, over sin, over whatever may be plaguing you. God has more power. And Roman soldiers faint. And the angel sits there. <laughs> the women in the tomb, once they get inside, they don't find the lifeless body of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, 
But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. They didn't just move his body. He is risen as he said. Come see the evidence. Come see the place where the Lord lay. I'm glad that those original disciples who feared for their life now had faith and they did not fear for their life. They were willing to be martyred, not for a myth, but because of the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The evidence is clear that he is not here. He is risen as he predicted, as he said. Come see where he lay. The Bible tells us that the grave clothes were there. Now, if you would have stolen his body, you would have taken him grave clothes and all. But the grave clothes are there as they had been wrapped around his body. And the cloth that was covering his face was folded and laid at a separate spot. I thought of this. All you parents that are trying to get your kids to make their beds in the morning. That when Jesus got up on Easter Sunday morning, he folded the napkin, or an angel did. It was very neat. But it is a little more amazing than that. John 20 and 7 tells us about this evidence of the folded napkin. That his body was not hastily stolen from the grave. But when God came, he showed the miracle and the women could see the clothes and the cloth that was about his face, face as evidence of a resurrection. It is true. He is not dead. He is risen as he said. I'm glad today that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lives to die no more. He is not here. He is not in a tomb. You can find the tomb of every other religious founder, but our Savior is alive today. His presence is in this house. That's why when praises go up, His power comes down. Praise God. This news sounded too good to be true, but it was true. And it was the dawn of a brand new day. The long night of grief was over. The long decades and centuries and millennia, all the way back to the original sin in the Garden of Eden, it was over from that prophecy that a descendant of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. It came true at the birth of Jesus Christ. And in his cross, when he said, it is finished, it was not the cry of a painful dying man. It was the sound of victory that death was defeated in his death, that sin was vanquished and the price was paid in full. It is finished. But when he rose from the dead, everything he died to do became possible for you. It was a new day. A new day. Amen. A new day like no other day. Not just, you know, his mercies are new every morning when the sun comes up. Not just the dawning of the first day of the week. 
It was the dawn of a new day of grace that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and he would save sinners like you and me. While these women came to pay homage to death, instead they found hope of eternal life. They came to honor the past, but they found a future of promise. And this is the message of Resurrection Sunday. This is the Easter story that he is alive, he is risen from the dead. And because of his resurrection, death is defeated and sins are forgiven. The chains of addiction are broken and captives are set free. Broken hearts are healed and the fear of the future is conquered. Amen. The love of God displaces the self-hatred that you have been battling and hatred surrenders to forgiveness. You do not have to leave today broken. You do not have to leave hurting. You do not have to leave lost. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every addiction that has you bound can be broken. He destroys the yoke that binds people. He will set you free today. It doesn't matter what your past might be. It doesn't matter where you came from or what you've done. Today is a new day for you. It's a new day free of depression. It's a new day free of addiction. It's a new day. Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. So we could just marvel or stand in awe of him. He conquered death. So we could live through him. He was rich, but for our sakes, he became poor. That we through his poverty might be made rich. He was, had everything and gave it all up. He emptied himself that he would come and die the perfect death. Pay the sacrifice that no one else was worthy to pay. To substitute for us where we deserve all of us to die for our sins. But Jesus died in our place buried in the tomb, resurrected the third day. That's why we're excited because we know what we used to be. But the Bible says you don't continue to be that. It says such were some of you in this room today are people who were addicts. They were drunkards. They were immoral. But now they have been justified. They have been sanctified. They have been set free for the power by the power of God. In this room are hundreds of testimonies of people who can tell you, I used to be this, but I am that no more. Jesus Christ has made me free. I've been resurrected by the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus conquered death so we can live with him. So I want to slow down and say it again at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pay the price to give us the hope of eternal life. And it is life and life more abundantly and eternal life. It is not a worse life, it's a better life. It's a life of true spiritual freedom under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Now, the Bible is very clear that Jesus died, was buried, resurrected on the third day. And it's only fitting, and I, I preached about this a few weeks ago, that the process of salvation follows the pattern, the gospel. That means good news of Jesus Christ. That when we turn from our sins in repentance, we die to our old life. And we die like Jesus died when we turn from our sins in repentance. Jesus was buried. The Bible says that we are buried with him. For those who might come from a different church background, it doesn't say we're buried with them. It says we're buried with him. That's why today when Brother William baptized three people and four people in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized like this. I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We're buried with him by baptism. That's why we call that name. His name is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God. That's why, that's why we say his name. And when you're buried, go all the way under the water. When you're immersed in the water in Jesus' name. It literally draws a spiritual line between your past and your future. That old past is dead in repentance, dead in burial. The Bible says that you rise to walk in the newness of life, a brand new life. Jesus said, I make all things new. He makes us a new creation. It, the word in the Greek is like species. No other word can describe the change that happens when a person is filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you're a new species, something different that humanity can never do. I know some of you have been through programs that have steps, and you've tried behavioral modification, and, and thank God for what every person does in the professional world to help you change. But the change that Jesus does is from the inside out. What's an alcoholic? They say always an alcoholic. But the gospel says new creation. Old things passed away. What you used to be, you are no more. That old identity is dead. That old power has been buried in the waters of baptism. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, it makes you a new creation. Death, burial, resurrection. We rise to walk in newness of life. And today I'm just going to tell you now that we're prepared to baptize you in water by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It is not joining a church. It is not an outward sign of an inward grace. It is for the remission of sins to be buried with Christ in baptism. So we have changing rooms, clean, warm water, towels, everything you need. We don't schedule baptisms because we believe baptism is urgent. If you want to schedule it, we'll do it for you. But we believe the Bible says, here's water. What does hinder you to be baptized? If you've repented, your next step toward God is to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The first day of the church, first day of the church, people receive the Holy Ghost for the first time, spoke in tongues 
They had never learned those languages, but the Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability to speak. So people gather and Peter preaches and the people say, men and brethren, what shall we do about our sins, you know? And the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, pivotal verse in the Bible. This is where the plan of salvation is declared for the first time. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, the Holy Ghost is a promise, is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even people that were not raised in church, that have no religious background, that seem like they have no hope, is to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall calling. So let me pause right here. Some of you are kind of, shell-shocked by what you're feeling today. You don't know how to respond to this, but God is calling you to salvation today. And if he's calling you, he will keep his promise to fill you with the Spirit. New creation. All things new. Amen. I was reviewing everyone who's come to God in our church in the last 15 months since the beginning of 2022. And I was thinking about how God makes us new. And today, as I was preaching in the first service, I, I remembered what happened when I was a teenager. There was a lady named Sister Johnson, and we picked her up for church every Sunday for about 17 years. Her husband, Hop, that's what we called him, H-O-P, he would be sitting there in front of his black and white TV in his chair, and he would never go to church. That was until he was 95 years old. They were old, but somehow he got out of his chair, came to church at the age of 95, was baptized in Jesus' name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he became a new creation at the age of 95. Hey, don't wait till you're 95 to get a new lease on life. Don't wait till you're so old that you don't have much life to give to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a new day for you. Now, some of you are having an internal argument right now. And Satan, who is at work, has lied to you, and he's lying to you right now. He'd like to tell you you're not worthy. You're too bad. Jesus cannot possibly forgive someone like you and change your life. But I want you to just go ask Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven devils were cast, who was the first at the tomb. And the first human being that Jesus Christ appeared to was Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven devils were cast. You're not too bad to be saved. You may think some backsliders, people who once served God, that you've gone too far. You've done too much. Maybe you think you've committed the unpardonable sin that God will not forgive you. But let me just tell you, if you're here today and you're looking to Jesus for your Savior, as your Savior, you've not gone too far. 
People who have gone too far have rejected the cross. But if you'll come to Jesus today, no one has gone too far to be saved. Some of you, he's telling you, you don't have what it takes. You're not a church person. You can never look like that, act like that, be like that. You know, you're destined to live your whole life, you know, as a sinner. And you're just going to go to hell one day. But the good news is you don't have to live that way. Your life can change today. You don't need to have what it takes. You need to have a willing heart. And when Jesus gives you the gift of the Holy Ghost, then you'll have what it takes to live an overcoming life. You can look around and think there's just a bunch of good people here, church people. But I'm just telling you, such were some of you. This room is filled with people who used to be sinners but are no longer like that. They were changed by the power of God. They did not have what it takes, but Jesus had what it took. And here they are today. Here they are today, saved by the power of God. Satan wants to make you feel like you're stuck in a revolving life, a door, and nothing will ever change for you. Nothing will ever get better. But I'm going to tell you today that that, he's trying to dash your hopes. He's trying to keep you from coming to Jesus. Just like those women were afraid when they got there, there was not going to be a way to get to Jesus. Here's what I've learned. You cannot save yourself, but you can repent for yourself. I can repent for myself, and you can repent for yourself. Only you can ask God to forgive you of your sins. Other people have been praying for you to do it, but if you will, it is like the door of the tomb will be rolled away in your life. When you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, the power of God will come to you. It will deliver you, and it will save you. Same power. We've read it once and sung about it already in this service, Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken to bring life, shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We sometimes think that that refers exclusively to the resurrection of the dead at the end. But Romans 8, that chapter, is all about the work of the Spirit and the life of a believer. If the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, that we're celebrating on Easter Sunday, if you will receive the Holy Ghost today, the Spirit of Jesus, it will quicken you. It will give you power over all the power that has been working against you all your life. It will set you free. In the past 15 months, I counted 123 people who have experienced water and or spirit baptism in our church. They are evidence that no matter your age or the experience you've had with sin, that Jesus Christ can bring a new day of salvation in your life. JP, I'm so glad to see you today. 
We love you. We thank God for what he did in your life when he saved you and transformed you. Nathan and Mary, they've been standing and preaching with me as I'm preaching. Thank God for what he's done in the Carnes family by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for what he's done for Mason White by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for what he did yesterday in Hope Ministry. Our Hope Ministry, for almost 17 years, they go downtown and they minister to the homeless population of Atlanta. They have church service. Yesterday, they received communion. And after they received communion, Clarence Adams, Clarence Adams, one of the mild-mannered friends that comes to Hope Ministry, started praying. He started praising the Lord. And yesterday, he was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave him the utterance. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you own a home or you're homeless. Jesus died for every soul and he will save you today. If you've been transformed by the power of God, would you thank him right now? Hallelujah. We're going to pray right now. You can be seated just for a few moments. And after we pray, we're going to come gather at the front of our church. They call this the altar area. In the Old Testament, the altar was a place of death where sacrifices were, you know, their lives were lost and the blood was shed. And the Bible said that we have an altar. It's where Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. That's where we come to him. And this is what we call our altar area. God can change your life today. When we have Easter Sunday, I didn't say it in the 9 a.m. service, but my wife and I often think about what Easter means in our family. That it was on an Easter Sunday that her dad, who had been away from God for many years, married a woman that didn't know anything about Pentecostal churches. A little girl. Was Craig born then? Craig, Carol, and Craig. And Larry, I'm sure it was not easy to go back to church. But he went back to church on Easter Sunday. And when he did, he repented. And God forgave him. He lived for God till he passed away, really at a young age, 49. But that day was so significant. And I may not even know you today, but I want that for you. I want that for you. We, as a church, want that for you. That's really why we're here. We're here for you to find new life in Jesus Christ. We're here for you to find a new day. So right now, we're going to take our first step toward God, asking him to forgive us of our sins. Let's pray right now, everyone, everywhere. Would you ask Jesus to cleanse your life of every sin. Would you ask Jesus to give you hope of something new? Jesus, right now. I pray like I did when I was a little boy, God, eight years old. 
Forgive me of my sins. And I've done many times before, God, since then. Forgive me of my sins, God. Wash me thoroughly that I can be clean. I pray, Lord, that you would take away everything in my life that is not like you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I forgive other people who have done wrong to me, God. I release them from that hurt. I pray today, God. I pray for that person today, Lord, that has tried over and over and over to escape addiction, Lord, only to be pulled back down into the vortex of that sin. I pray today, Jesus, that you would break that stronghold in their life. I pray, Jesus, that you would let hope come to their mind. I pray against the lies of Satan who would love for them to believe that nothing can ever change. I pray today, Jesus, that you would have mercy on a family that is hurting today, a family that may be fractured, God, and it looks like that family is going to dissolve, Lord, but today you can save that family. I pray for that family, Lord, that has been headed in the wrong direction, Lord, that today they would turn around and reconsecrate their lives to you. Let this be a new day for them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.